Hey everybody, this is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com and welcome to my podcast, and which you might be listening to under several different names on your favorite podcast catcher on YouTube or whatever. But what I want to talk about today is different models for funding scientific research. I was listening to this Vox podcast, um, you know, because I, I, they oftentimes, even if I like have ideological differences with a lot of the commentators on, on, on Vox, they oftentimes, you know, have pretty robust conversations that are I find valuable. So they were having a conversation about sort of like what we learned about like vaccines, but it was really more of a conversation about how to like fund research. And one of the panelists was really, really like driving questions that were trying to like gear one of the people that we're talking to towards a particular conclusion was just like basically well you know considering what 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 uh, what occurred does this make you question uh you know cap basically the the, the gist of every question was so like <clears throat> does this make you question capitalism and why is the answer yes the kind, kind of questions where it's like you're leading with your conclusion um which is you know a thing you see on all sides it's but it's generally like it's an unfair way of asking questions of telling people like what they should answer. And the person that, that was kind of like the guest they had on was, was pretty good at, uh, trying to like, just give their honest perspective, uh, <clears throat> which was, was just basically like, this is how things happen and, and whatnot. But basically let's kind of break it down. Uh, looking back at, uh, everything with the M N M R N A vaccine, uh, created for COVID. <clears throat> so this was actually pretty interesting because I didn't know a lot of this stuff. But essentially, basically, the traditional way you create like a vaccine, like let's say you create a vaccine for like polio or whatnot, what you do is you take like a weakened version of the virus and you introduce it into people's. This part I knew, like you, you know, you, you get you get given a little bit chunks of the virus, and uh, that that then you your body learns how to kills the virus and learns how to produce antibodies for that virus going forward so that way if stronger versions are introduced your body's kind of prepared for it the problem is is like how weak does the virus need to be and this is kind of like where the research comes in so basically you have to kind of come up with different versions because you don't want the virus so weak that you don't really develop enough antibodies but you don't want it so strong that you make the person sick so kind of you know doing all this sort of trial and error <clears throat> which i think they accurately described as artisanal so essentially it takes longer to do the research to build the vaccine and then when you lay on the regulatory approval process and how long that takes it takes a long time to get a vaccine out <clears throat> now what was really different with um the covid vaccine was that it used a different approach so i guess this is where the, the word mrna comes from where instead of giving in, so instead of like really kind of giving you a weakened version of the virus i guess with the from my understanding is that they're injecting some some instructions like some some proteins that give instructions to your other proteins on what antibodies to generate um so in the sense that you're you're not necessarily going to be like the it's a lot more plug and play so the idea is like the, the benefit of this sort of way of making vaccines is that like you don't necessarily you can do it a lot quicker because all you have to do is create the right instructions to create the right antibodies you're not necessarily having to worry about like hey am i is the virus too weak or too strong because you're not necessarily introducing the virus you are um <clears throat> introducing sort of the, like this kind of way of changing 
how the body generates antibodies. So you are literally like genetically modifying the person in a sense. And this technology has been around for a while, but it never really was used in practice. Um, and this is kind of like where the debate and the conversation went, where it was the debate was between sort of like, well, you have companies like Pfizer, and the argument was that it wasn't necessarily like a huge profit center for a big company like Pfizer, because you know vaccines are something you take once and then you don't need to take it again. So it's not like something like Pfizer's big money maker, Viagra, which you have to take over and over again and can be very profitable. <clears throat> So Pfizer, and so basically, again, that person was really trying to drive this, that one per, that one panelist was really trying to drive that point, like, oh, well, you know, if Pfizer doesn't have the profit motive, should the government get involved? And then, like, the, the person they're interviewing comes back and is like, well, but then you take a look at, like, Moderna. Like, Moderna was, like, this small sort of startup um, that's actually, like, named after M M mRNA-type vaccines. Like, that's, like, that was, like, their big bet as a startup. They were betting that this new technology was going to be big someday. And COVID happened and it kind of worked out for them. You know, otherwise they probably um, wouldn't have survived. Okay. <clears throat> so they bet big. And so the idea is that like, hey, even if bigger companies make much more prudent decisions, you generally have startups who take much bigger risks, which is, you know, what is to be expected. I don't expect big companies to take giant risks. And I don't, I, I expect smaller companies to take risks and succeed or fail based on those risks. <clears throat> Sorry for the, my throat's a little... Uh, choppy today but yeah so essentially that's like the technology so the question was like hey this is a really useful technology and why hasn't it like been you know if this is such a cool technology like why are we using this for like the flu shot and all this stuff i mean i guess part of the things i heard was this type is a little bit more expensive to put together a little bit more expensive to manufacture so for example with the flu shot there already is say this pre-existing way of doing it they already got through a groove, so there's this inertia. But again, this one panelist is really trying to blame this inertia on the profit motive. A lot of times, I mean, and you see this in the private and public sector, inertia is just inertia. If people are already doing things a certain way, it's hard to get them to change unless the added value is great. And COVID, in a sense, really did create this sort of huge value add of, of, of adopting this new technology. In the same way, like things like cryptocurrency, like it wasn't until certain situations, like when Cyprus threatened to like take money from people, that suddenly like the added value of trying this other thing out was there. It doesn't matter that it's better. It matters is, is it better enough that it brings me enough value versus what I'm using currently? And that doesn't matter whether it's private or public sector. Like at the end of the day, people don't change their behavior unless the reasons to do so are compelling. <clears throat> and it's not a matter of like who who is the actor, private or public? Um, but, but you know, this person, this person on the panel, I do recommend listening to this episode because it, it, it was quite amusing, like how they kept trying to steer the conversation in this direction. Um, so, yeah. So, but but basically, that shows you sort of like one model. Like you again, like when you take a look, big companies make more prudent decisions and and smaller companies take risks, but you get a balance of both because you have multiple actors. And that's kind of like the, the benefit in capitalism because you have multiple actors. Um, <clears throat> then they pointed out some other, but then the question just becomes like, what happens if a Moderna failed? Okay, so does that mean, you know, like, hey, startups that took the right risk just at the wrong time, does that mean like the company, the technology just dies with it and we lose out on technology? Maybe we need the government to get involved and, and, and prioritize these things. Now, if you know anything about how like what happens when companies fail, like it's not like the technology just dis disappeared, okay? Like if a company fails, it generally gets acquired, absorbed by some other company, 
that sees values in its assets. And so that patent or whatever, you know, assets they have technologically would still be a value to somebody and would be liquidated in the process to whoever finds it valuable. Um, although it looks like this was this was like a technology that like was available to many companies because again Pfizer, Moderna, uh, Johnson Johnson all use this M mRNA technology throughout this process. <clears throat> so, but then they pointed out this other model where basically you have like sort of you know philanthropists. And I mean, because the issue is like they're thinking like they're talking about like how like right now they get funding. If you're a scientist, you have to like write grants and this takes time. OK, and I'm, although when you get funding from the government, you still have to write grants. So like I, I'm not seeing the difference here, you know, because, again, the vision I think people always have in their head of like the government taking over is that the government, that the people who are going to make the decisions of who allocates money to who are these like perfectly all knowing, benevolent people who like know exactly where the money should be prioritized. Um, are good judges of who to give that money to because just because you have the right priorities doesn't mean you're giving the money to the right research um <clears throat> three that they have the right priorities like you know so like and that they're incorruptible which again in all reality oftentimes isn't the case again it's not an issue of private or public it's issue that actors are actors in any capacity are are corruptible the, the issue is given corruption of an actor are you able to find an alternative um, and that's essentially like sort of like the big argument for capitalism is that not that it's incor that it's incorruptible. It's, no, it's very corruptible. Everything's very corruptible. The thing is that you can find an alternative. So in the sense, like if a company like Pfizer won't do something, maybe a startup like Moderna does. If traditional foundations who ask you the right grants, you can find some wacky billionaire who just likes to give their money to like very niche research. And they were pointing out some guy who likes to give money for like space research you know, for researching stars, intergalactic travel. <clears throat> but then they made the argument that, hey, well, that's not very useful technology. So like, that's not a good funding model either. Like philanthropy should be used to prioritize the things that I think are a priority. Like that's the problem. Everyone has like different priorities. And that's the issue when you, everyone imagines like they say like, hey, no, the government's all of us. But at the end of the day, people always imagine it as an extension of themselves and imagine that, hey, if I could just force everybody to follow my priorities, things will be better <laughs> and you know that's kind of always the deal um problem is again you have to delegate things at the end of the day like whether private or public you, 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 it's not all in the hands of one person and everyone has their incentives uh their 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 own individual priorities the things that influence them and you can't control these factors that's why you want there to be alternatives you want there to be as many possible routes to get something done as possible because a lot of them will fail and you want there to be you know you want to raise a probability of success by having as many sort of possible uh avenues as possible um okay so that's kind of where like that conversation goes so you see the model of hey you know wacky sense who just cares about the idea doesn't really you don't need to write a lot of grants just say hey you're doing the thing that that person cares about um, there's the model of, hey, a big company will fund research in things that are, like, likely profitable, which is fair. Like, that's, that's essentially, like, that's their business. <clears throat> and, you know, at the end of the day, like, these businesses employ people. Uh, their shares fund people's retirement. So, uh, you know, there's other social good from them focusing on their returns. So that way they can keep those people employed and keep 
you know, and also make sure that there's a return to, in people's retirement accounts or in their investment accounts, which then they take those returns and either spend them or invest them in something else. Um, so like, even if the company that like, let's say Pfizer doesn't do cutting edge research, people who probably invest in Pfizer probably invest in the healthcare sector and will take the returns on Pfizer and and, and make some bigger bets on startups like Moderna. Um, so the returns on Pfizer do the growth of Pfizer ends up trickling. Uh, I hate using that word. Um, let's not say trickling because it's not really a trickle, um, but it does end up like reverberating or rippling to into other other enterprises in the same sector because oftentimes the bigger investors are often these like fund investors who they invest in a sector and they're, they're balancing the risks so they may put a, a bulk of their money in Pfizer because it's a safer bet but then you know as they make returns they that allows them to increase their allocation in smaller companies like the Modernas uh, and you have that you could have government do funding and they do and sometimes they're successful and that was another thing they pointed out like where like they have like I guess there's these programs where they have government researchers where the government will hire the researchers but they seek out private funding and if they figure the thing out then the like the people who provided the private funding get a stake in owning the owning of the of the intellectual property and people weren't thrilled with that either um which i can understand that i can understand that but like you know they just basically they just really wanted where like the funding wasn't tied to some sort of private person, but at the end of the day, it is. Even government funding is still tied to private people because it's not like everyone's making involved in every decision. And it's not like we elect people based on a very clear priority. Like when someone elects president, senator, or congressman, there's a, ugh, dozens of possible issues that someone could have voted for one party or the other party. So there's no clear mandate of like what that representative should do. You can do polling, but not everyone's reachable through polls. Like there's no... At the end of the day, like you're still just subject to the whims of the people you elect. Okay, you might try to elect people whose whims you disagree with less, but it doesn't mean you're not going to still end up being subject to the the whims that you disagree with. Um, and the the things that you may you may have elected them based on a priority you have, but not but the place where that actual person you elected's priority is is in the area you disagree with them on. So now you just you know they may not do anything in regards to the part where you did care about and do a whole lot in places you disagree with so like it's like it's a real like mixed bag um it's not you know people always can imagine sort of like well if we elected the right people and they all did the right thing and they all got along just fine and again same thing and like and that goes not just for government but for business for all kind of like you know you can't bank on the world being perfect and you can't bank on things working perfectly which is again why you want alternatives you want to have uh, you want to diversify, um, you know, how social progress is achieved. Okay. So I'm not necessarily making it right now. I'm not trying to make an argument that there should be like no government role. Like I definitely am. You guys all know that like I'm a libertarian and I'm generally like for a low, a less government role. I'm not going to get into like debates about degrees, but I'm making an argument that the government shouldn't have the sole role or that that there is a very significant role and a positive role um, in having many actors involved in the funding of all the things. And leaving that to sort of being the, you know, having people with conflicting interests and, you know, making different decisions with, with resources. Okay, because, you know, when you take everyone thinks like as the healthcare industry is a bunch of companies that just work together. No, they're all competing against each other. So they all have opposing interests. 
and they all try to find new ideas to compete against each other and it's a good thing but inside the companies they're working to cooperate with each other between the staff and the company like you're so you're developing entrepreneurship occurs at two levels entrepreneurship within the company to figure out how can we work together better and and then externally figuring out like how can we be better than our competition so you're having the forces of competition and competition constantly being sort of refined not perfect not saying it's perfect not even close but I mean a lot of the criticism I, I find like sort of overblown in a sense like there's just like oftentimes it's saying well what if this scenario always it's kind of it's kind of like reminds me of when I watched like the movie Repo Men it's a movie with Jude Law where and there's also another movie called um, Repo the Musical I, I enjoyed Repo the Musical it's actually worth watching you can watch it on Amazon Prime but they both kind of had a similar plot where you have this world where there's organ transplants and basically if you can't afford the organ transplant you can finance it but if you can't pay back the loan they rip out your organs they send people to come out and repossess the organs which is <laughs> bizarre <laughs> that's not how things would work like you don't like i could see like the mob doing that but even the like like at the end of the day like you don't like no business evolves that way like you have like companies like rent a center like they'll take back the furniture but they won't like physically kill you and if you were to disappear with the furniture like your credit will be ruined but they're not going to hunt you down um you know like and then of course like there would be like credit assessments and underwriting and a bunch of things involved that would prevent things from ever getting kind of that level but i mean this is sort of like what people imagine they always imagine sort of like this worst case dystopian scenario and it goes both ways like again you know you talk to like libertarians like myself a lot of times we'll imagine like this sort of like you know not necessarily the government that is but the government that could the, the worst government that could be so we're imagining like this very dystopian version of what government can be because it's theoretically possible in the same way like you can theoretically imagine that world where people repossess organs um and uh but by focusing on sort of like the dystopian like not probably not gonna happen scenarios you, you kind of lose track of like where we are and having a conversation about where we're at to actually like see if you can influence things in a better direction now i'm not saying like there's like important to not have dystopia because you, you kind of want to have a vision of you know what you're trying to avoid like I, I definitely want to avoid like a 1984 like big brother government but i also want to avoid you know dystopian enterprises that repossess my organs um but there's no there's no magic bullet to prevent that the way we prevent that is by being society and, and that engages with each other and talks to each other um but i still very very much see like the benefits of this like again free enterprise and and again i just always oftentimes again feel the criticisms are exaggerated in the same way probably people feel like criticisms i've made in the past of government may seem exaggerated at times again i can see it both ways because again i'm attuned to sort of people making sort of overblown criticisms to you know when, when talking about like free enterprise and and markets um in the same way probably other people are sensitive to like overblown arguments uh when it comes to like characterizing uh you know different government practices i do think there's a difference i do think there's a difference of of layers of consent um but that's a different discussion that gets more into like a philosophy uh, philosophical discussion about sort of like 
but I do think that it has real world ramifications. I do think like a world of consent has has an effect where you have consent and the more consent you have or, or require in society in the sense that like hey everything has to be done by the consent of the people like you can't do something like you can't be forced to do something you don't want to do and no and you can't force someone else to do something they don't want to do like that level of consent kind of breeds a need for mutual respect because again i can't since i can't force you to do something i have to convince you to do something which requires me to kind of like be someone you would listen to which requires like you know again an element of respect um and there's a closer bonding society because again there's just a need for each other again even then people get wary of having to need other people which is like it's always weird like because again you, you hear people like they're making the argument that we should make do things more as a society but in the same token they're like we don't want society to do things because we don't trust them um which i can understand because there's people who do bad things people who don't who you know when you try to sit there and try to think of society as like the social environment and you see how some people treat their families how people some people treat their children how some people treat their parents uh you know and especially if you were on the receiving end of that how you can be sort of how that skepticism can grow in you i get that um but at the end of the day like oftentimes i think those are exceptions to the rule and in my experience most people are all right not perfect but they're all right and well-intentioned and oftentimes you know even the bad things they do is oftentimes coming from a good place not that that justifies bad actions but point is like the natural inclination of people is generally positive towards other humans um and this to and i believe that to an extent that i think that force that nature should be um where we send benefit from embracing that than trying to control that um, but yeah, that, those are my thoughts for today. I know I haven't done a podcast episode in a while, so I figured I'd record a thing and you guys can take it as you will. So you guys have a great day and enjoy. <laughs>